Hey, Becky and I wanted to have a quick prayer over people. We were praying on the way this morning to uh, here, and <clears throat> and then the, the worship was a lot along the lines that we were praying. So, but one of the things that Becky prayed that really just pierced me was about fear. You know that that we don't have to fear no more. And I started thinking about that and just realizing how much fear drives all of us, whether we are honest with ourselves or not, but a lot of the things that we do are based on a fear in us, a fear that we're not going to be okay or a fear that God's not going to do what we think he should do. And, and it's real subtle, um, but perfect love casts out fear. And God really wants to motivate us with faith. That's, that's how God wants us to operate, not out of fear, but out of faith. And, but it's so subtle. And, you know, the Lord's been showing me a lot of things in my life recently uh, about me and about strongholds that I carry that I wasn't even aware of. But I've realized a lot of those strongholds are built around this thought of, of that's, that has fear in it. This, you know, and, and a lot of it has to do with, with God and what God does or doesn't do. And so you build a lot of things around that kind of thinking that are ultimately not good for you and are ultimately would, can destroy your life if, if you let them go too far. That's how religion gets in. It's through fear. That's, you know, that's that whole thing. So we wanted to pray for you because I think there's really a power of the Lord coming this morning, as they've already mentioned. Uh, but we, I just wanted to specifically break fear off in people. El espíritu de temor, el Señor quiere liberarlo. Ellos van a orar por la congregación en esa dirección. So, why don't you just touch the person next to you, just on their shoulder? ¿Por qué no pones la mano sobre la persona que está al lado tuyo? So, Lord, I just ask you right now in Jesus' name that you would release us from fear. Señor, te pido en este momento que tú rompas el temor. Lord, break the chain of fear. Rompe la cadena del temor. Lord, that because we have you, Jesus. Señor, porque te, te tenemos a ti, Jesús. Because you are in us, Jesus. Señor, tú estás en nosotros. And we are in you. Y nosotros en ti. We don't have to fear. No tenemos que temer. You have already done everything. Señor, tú has hecho todo en la cruz. For us. Por nosotros. So that we don't have to fear. Para que nosotros no tengamos que temer. We don't have to strive. No tenemos que luchar. To be somewhere. Para estar en algún to lugar. To be something. Para ser alguien. To do something. Para hacer algo. We can just rest. Podemos descansar. In what you have already done. En lo que tú ya has hecho. So right now we receive. Ahora mismo recibimos. The done of Christ. Lo que Cristo ha hecho. It's done. Está hecho. So we receive that full measure Lo recibimos en su of the work total. of the cross. El tra la obra en la cruz. You're in me Tú estás en mí. and I'm in you. Y yo estoy en ti. So we reject fear Rechazamos now. Al temor. We just rest y solo descansamos. in the finished work of the cross. En el trabajo terminado en and, la cruz. and we rest y that we are now que sons and daughters y somos hijos e hijas of the Father del Padre. 
And we are taken into a fellowship y hemos sido traído that is bigger than anything we could imagine. A una familia. Esto es más grande de lo the, que podamos imaginar. The fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. La confraternidad del Padre, el Hijo y el Espíritu Santo. And we are safe and sound. Y estamos salvos y sanos. Thank you, Lord. Gracias, Señor. In Jesus' name. En el nombre de Jesús. Amen. Amen. You know, human beings are are they are born with two fears: fear of, you know, fear of being dropped, and a fear of loud noises. That's the only ones we uh, get when we're born. All the other fears we have, we get living in this fallen world. You know, so and there's literally thousands of fears that people suffer with, thousands that have accumulated. On people's hearts, and God just wants to, He wants to just free us from that. And and uh, there's, there's so many subtle fears that operate in the background of your heart. And so, if you really ask the Holy Spirit to search me, O God, and know my ways, let Him shine His light on your fears. And a lot of times, when God begins to do that, it's not because He's admonishing you or even disciplining you; He's trying to free you. He's trying to liberate you, and it's His goodness that He's trying to release into your life. And so it's just a, it's, it's a process. It's, you know, an outworking of the Spirit of God and you cooperating with Him, allowing Him access to your heart and allowing Him, you know, letting the Spirit, being truthful and letting the Spirit of truth work in you. And I, if you begin to do that and, and allow, allow that in your life, God will begin to do more and more of, of just freeing, freeing you and releasing you into everything that he has for you. Um, another thing I feel like that's, uh, I'll just share this, is, is one thing the Lord's been talking to me a lot about, is is, is something the guy who wrote the shack, uh, book, you know, the book, the shack, he said when he wrote the book, you know, I, the story is he didn't write the book to be writing a book, he wrote it for his kids, because his, his wife wanted his kids to know how he thought about God. So he wrote this book and made copies at Staples and stapled them together and gave them to his kids for Christmas because he didn't have no money to buy them a present, but he gave them this book and he gave them a few friends. And anyway, well, the book is like on the top 100 books of all time best-selling. So that's just an amazing book. But he said something that when I heard him say it, it just struck me. He said, that book did nothing for me. In terms, of course, it opened a lot of doors and probably has made him a multimillionaire. But in terms of identity, it gave, he said it gave me nothing. Nothing. Now, that's a powerful statement when you think about it. Because lots of times we're subtly doing things because we're looking for identity. And I heard another guy say, if you take everything you're known for away from you, okay, Think about that. Everything you're known for, take it away. Who are you? Do you get that? That's when you can find out who you really are. It's not who you're known for. It's really who God says you are. And so a lot of times in our lives, we're seeking to associate ourselves or be associated or have some particular skill or gift or anointing or whatever you want to call it, some profession. And and out of that, we're trying to get something out of it that it's not meant to give us. Okay, and that's a danger for people. 
that's a big danger. And it will ultimately, it will ultimately not pay off in your life long haul. In, in other words, it would be better for you. It's God's mercy and grace when he doesn't let it pay off for you. It's God's mercy and grace when you're involved in something and God breaks it down, something wonderful even, something like a move of God, like a revival, and God stops it because it no longer becomes about God and you're getting this thing out of it that you're not supposed to get. Are you all following this? And so God wants to release his people from all that because, this is why, because God wants to entrust us with the riches of heaven. He wants to just pour out blessings on us. He wants to pour out wealth on people. I'm talking about literal wealth in the, in the natural terms, but, it's, but that wealth no longer, it doesn't own you. You own it. And, 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 and anointings and authority and power, whatever it, the realm that God has called you to, He wants to pour that out on you. But He will not do so. A, a, a good mom and dad will never allow their child to play around with electrical socket because it's dangerous. And, and although it's such a blessing to us to have electricity. Are y'all following this? And so that's a lot of what God is, is revealing uh, Letting, letting Him shine His light deep down in your heart and finding places where you're getting identity, okay, from things that God says, no, that's a blessing I want you to have, but you can't get identity from it. Now, you know, you have to let the Holy Spirit do that, obviously, because you can get really messed up if you don't allow Him to lead you in that. But even in a marriage, a lot of people think they can get identity out of marriage, and, you know, it doesn't work. You'll... You'll destroy your marriage when you're trying to get something from your spouse that they can't give you and they're not supposed to give you. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, help us. Amen? You know, Lord, we're like this sheep uh, gone astray in so many ways and, we're, and you're the shepherd and you're bringing us back to your heart. That's what the Lord's doing. He's bringing us back to his, himself so we can really f- know him in a way that's amazing. And... Um, the Lord's good, okay? <laughs> the Lord's really good, okay? <laughs> Woo, yes. Hey, I'm going to, re- one of the, I want to read just Luke 15. Not the whole chapter, obviously, but um, let me just tell you about Luke 15 first. Um, it, and this is my belief and opinion about it. It's the most powerful chapter in the Gospel of Luke about the Father, okay? It's the most powerful chapter in the, in the Gospel of Luke about the Father, it's it in John 14, which is the most powerful chapter in the Gospel of John about the Father, have been like the two like you know chapters in my life in terms in context of when you're talking about God as a Father and what that Father is like and what that Father's heart is. is to me, it's John 14 and, John, and Luke 15. Those are the ones that have spoken to me over and over and over in my life, and so I've been really wanting to do a message from. Uh, Luke 15 for for a long time, and but it just hasn't worked out for me. Um, so I decided I was going to do it, um, but I'm going to only do the first two verses today because the, God started speaking to me out of these first two verses uh, recently, it, crazily. Uh, it's just crazy because I'd never the first two verses was always just an introduction to me, and I really got into the. To the meat, you know, the, it's about the parable of the prodigal son. It's what Luke 15 is, if you, if you don't know what's in there. That's the famous story, which is probably the most famous parable that Jesus ever told. 
It is a very famous, it's, it's sort of like Psalm 23, you know. Every, you know, Psalm 23 is a famous psalm. Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, is a famous parable in the Bible. Perhaps maybe the only other one that would equal it would be the parable of the, uh, you know, the parable of the sower. That would probably kind of be equal to it. But um, I was talking to this farmer recently, okay. We have farmers around us where we live, which is awesome, and not just hobby farmers, but real farmers that, you know, like this one guy I was talking to, he has like a thousand acre farm. He's all his life has lived there. In fact, I was standing there talking to him. He was talking about this smell from this pond. He said, you can probably smell it, but I can't smell it because I've lived all my life. And I was like, really? It's about to kill me, this ammonia smell. I was, <laughs> it's about to knock me down because the wind was blowing. But I just had this amazing conversation with this farmer. And, God, and I got in my car, and I just knew that God was, God was in the car. You know, I, when I walked away from this farmer, and he was an amazing guy. I just loved him. Just a, a beautiful man, a beautiful believer, and just, but just so enjoyable to be around. And so I get in my car. I was at his house talking to him about some, some stuff, about soil. I'm very interested in soil, but anyways... That's another story. I do that on the parable of the source. But I got in my car, and I just felt so pierced in my heart over a simple conversation about farming. You know, I just felt pierced. I felt God had just pierced me. And I was saying, Lord, what is this? What are you trying to tell me? And, and so I'll share some of what he started talking to me about. It's been something that's been in my heart. Because I've always had this thing about meals, about people eating. And I'll just say this, all my life, when I would see a person eating alone, I, I felt this compassion for them. I don't, it was weird to me. I, I would feel this thing towards them, that, and I felt, I didn't feel sorry for them. I felt it was something that was coming from the inside of me. And it was like I wanted to go and embrace them and help them somehow in my mind. So it really bothered me. It just bothered me because I didn't, I didn't get what it was. And that's why I talked with that farmer that day. God began to start revealing it to me what it was. So that's my introduction. Amen. Oh, y'all know I'm weird, man. Like, dude, you got issues. Why are you worried about somebody eating alone? You know, it's just weird. I can just in my mind look now, and it's like, oh, don't go there. Uh, but let me read verse one and two. Amen. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners, this is the introduction to this parable, okay? This is actually why Jesus told it. These two verses here are, just, are everything to the whole, whole story. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him, you know. And that's just powerful in itself that there's these people out there that want to hear him. And they're not Christian people. They're not good people. These were... People who had bad reputations and deservedly had bad reputations. They deserved the bad reputation they had in the community because they had done bad things and they deserved it. Now, that's what that's trying to tell us there when it talks about tax collectors and sinners. If you go through the Gospels and find out who these people were, they were prostitutes. Okay, they were thieves. They were, they were people who were rejected. Those were the sinners. The tax collectors were like the worst. They were like traitors. You know, they, 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 tra- they were traitors to their country. You know how that feels. If you knew somebody was a traitor and they were trying to undermine our country, you would not like them at all. You would want them in prison where they rightfully belong. And, and those were the people that wanted to hear from this person. 
those were the people who were attracted to him because they, he was saying something that was real. He was saying something that was real. He wasn't saying what everybody else was saying. He wasn't given the, the standard line. He was given something that people needed. Okay, and that's the person, we, we want to be like those people. We don't want to have a, a bad reputation and deserve that bad, but we want to be those people who want to hear Him. And we have this need in our life, and we have something in our life that drives us to this person because when He's talking, He's saying something. He's not saying what has been said by everybody else and His brother and what, by all the religion and all the history. That's, what, that's, that's their feeling you know, that's really powerful when you think about it. And the Pharisees and, scri- and scribes complained about it. Now, that's the religious spirit. That's the know-it-all spirit. That's the smug spirit. That's the spirit that says to people, like, why can't they get it together? What's wrong with those people? You know that spirit? We've all had that, those thoughts come up when we see a person that's broken down in life. That's, but that's the driving spirit behind that. And they were complaining, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Which, you know, in every culture, and and especially the culture of Jesus' day, and, and, you know, eating with a person was a a sign of of welcoming that person, uh, befriending that person, caring about that person. And that's what they were saying. This guy cares about these people. He welcomes them. He's trying to be friends with these bad people. And because he's doing it, God is going to get a bad name because this guy's supposed to be a rabbi. God's going to get a bad name because of what he's doing with these bad people. That's what they were saying. That's part of their issues with Jesus. Some of it, their issues was they were concerned about God and how God was going to look because the way Jesus was acting and claiming that he was, you know, a rabbi and a teacher. God's going to get a bad name. You know, the Lord told me one time, I'll take care of my name. Don't worry about, don't worry about what, all that. Just I'll take care of that part. You don't need to try to take care of my name, of my reputation. Oh, we're going to give the Lord a bad reputation. No, you can't give the Lord a bad reputation. It's like water off a duck's back to him. And even if we gave him one, he wouldn't care. He's like, well, heck yeah. I mean, you know, my son's a bad son. He's, a, he's, a, he's an outlaw. I still love him. I'm still going to connect with him. And if that makes me look bad, then just, just okay, I look bad because my love is bigger than that. That's, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. Anyways, so, whoo, Lord help me. It's been all this time. I got to get with the program here. So there's these two meals in this story. Just mention this story. That's the first one. He's eating. When they mention that he was eating with all these people. The other, the other meal is, is Jesus went right after that. It was about a feast that the father of the prodigal son gave for his son. Okay? He gave a feast for his son. He said, kill the, you know, the calf that's been ready, the fatty calf, the one that we've prepared for a special moment. We're going to have a big party. We're going to eat. We're going to drink. We're just going to have a big time. And so it's, it's like God is bringing out this thought uh, about food and about meals. This is, is going to make you hungry. You're going to want to go to lunch really fast after this. You might want another kind of meal. But I just began to see that day with that farmer how a lot of what, a lot of the Bible 
is about is, is, is there's food involved in the Bible. There's meals involved in the Bible. I mean, so much so we have something called the Passover meal, right? A big deal, right? Something God really is big. Uh, the only the only ritual that I can think of in the New Testament that Jesus wanted us to do was called the Lord's Supper. <laughs> it was a meal of, of sorts. That was important to God. A lot of Jesus' miracles center around meals. He or food. He he uh, what did he do? The first miracle was turning water into wine. That was a party. He the, he 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 fed five thousand people. He fed four thousand people. It was a meal. Okay. Um, there was a time, you know, when he was calling people. He gave them a miracle of catching fish. You know, we eat fish, right? He actually did that two times. The miracle of catching the fish. So a lot of what uh, Jesus did in his miracles. And a lot of his illustrations where he was trying to reveal a profound truth, he used food as an object to teach about like, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. Think about a profound truth he's using to try to reveal something. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. There's a story in Exodus, actually, um, of the Lord called Moses and the 70 elders up into this place that we don't really understand this place. Uh, I think it's in Exodus 34. Yeah, it's one of Marlon's favorites. But the Lord wanted the elders to meet him. God wanted, hey, bring the 70 elders. I want them to see me. Good Lord, what do you think about that day? If you were an elder and God was saying, I want you to see me. But wouldn't that be something to, for God to say, I want you to see me? It was an invitation. And guess what they did? They had a meal. They had a meal up there in this place where there was this, it says there's this sapphire floor. And there was this meal. Somehow they sat down before God, the 70 elders and Moses, and ate this meal before him because he wanted to see him. You know, another time the Lord in David's famous, he prepares a meal. Like your enemies are bearing down on you. You're fixing to get killed, boy. Hey, let's have a meal. That's what. Let's eat. Let's have a big meal. Let's just eat out here. Let him come on. We're eating. <laughs> see what he does. And so, so you see us all really, really all over the Bible. Uh, I, there's a couple more I wanted to tell you about. I read this thing. Uh, well, this is something that Jesus even said about himself. It's in Luke 7:34, which I didn't put there. He said. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's what he said. The Son of Man. You know, we think about how Jesus came to the earth and what he did to to bring the kingdom and to reveal himself. And we tend to think about, well, he did a lot of miracles. Yep, he healed a lot of people. Yep, he delivered people. All that. But Jesus himself said, one of the ways I've come is having meals with people. That's one of the ways I've come to reveal to people my kingdom. To reveal to people what the Father's like is sitting down with them and eating a meal. I mean, so there's something really profound in it. And he did it so much so that his enemies, the same Pharisees, said, This guy's a dang drunk. He's a glutton. Because he's always eating. He's always drinking. He's always doing this. 
They were rightly accusing him, but he really wasn't a drunk and he wasn't a glutton, but he did a lot of eating. Okay, that was whole, there was a guy who wrote uh, this book about, and I haven't read the book, but I did see this one quote on it. It's a guy named Robert Karras. He's actually a theologian or a professor of New Testament at St. Bonaventure Catholic University. He's a Catholic man. He said, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. <laughs> He's either eating He's either just left a meal or he's headed off somewhere to eat with somebody. That's what this guy said because he did this in-depth study on, on food in the Bible. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, another thing that I felt was really profound about food, and I'm, I'm going to have a punchline on all this. Uh, yes, I am. In, in Luke 24, I want to read this to you because it's beautiful to me. It's, uh, y'all know the story of the road to Emmaus. Oh, don't you love that story? Is that one of those stories you can't just escape from in your heart? I mean, I mean, I go back to that story over and over and over in my life because I, I just long to have that walk with the Lord. I long to have that conversation. And I can be dumb as daylights and not know what's God. I'm fine with that just, as, just so I can get the results that they got. You know, they got a result. They didn't know what was happening. They were discouraged. They were disappointed, those two people. This is right after Jesus was, you know, he was, uh, res- he was you know, killed, <laughs> crucified, as it were. And so they were just like blown away because all their hopes and dreams have just died in Jesus. And they were questioning everything, like we do lots of times, like we do with him. We question when things fall down on us. And fall apart on us. And we begin to question. We may not question whether he's alive or not. We begin to question him. and What his intentions are. And who he is. And so it's just this beautiful story. And then they finally get to where they were going. And Jesus acts. I love that. He did that a couple of times. He acted like he was going to keep going. Don't you love Jesus acting on you? Another time he did that when he was walking on the water. And they saw him. And they were scared, and they thought it was a ghost. And he came up, and they realized it was him, and he acted like he was just going to keep going on. Like, no, 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 please don't go on. Get in the boat. See, you know, same, same here. I think sometimes God's looking for an invitation from us. Like, sometimes he's just wanting to know, do, do you really, would you like for me to be with you? I mean, I would love to be with you. I, I want to be with you. In fact, I will always be with you. I would like for you to want me to be with you, and that's when some stuff can happen. Are y'all good? When we say, Lord, I, I want you to be with me. Don't go, Lord. I mean, come on. Go with me. Let's go to the house here. And that's where they were headed. They were headed to some, some house. And it says in verse 30, I just gave you my version of all that beautiful stuff. And it came to pass as he sat, what, at the table with them. And this is the dinner table or supper table. He sat at the table with him, eating a meal. How many people call the last meal of the day dinner? Raise your hand. All right, how many people? Supper, come on. See, when I grew up, it was breakfast, dinner, and supper. Tea? Damn. Well, okay. They're having tea. That's a, that's a rough supper of all you got is a glass of tea. It's a, that's a liquid supper. Anyways. I was shocked when I felt, I was shocked actually when I realized I had to quit calling uh, dinner, I had to call dinner lunch and supper dinner. It was like, wow, I, I like the way it was, but things have changed. That's, things have changed since I was a little boy. 
Anyways, Lord help. He was sitting at the table with them, and he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. So they're eating again. Then their eyes were open. See, this is what we're looking for. This is what we're looking for. And that's what I want to tell you. In a meal, your eyes can be opened. In a meal, a revelation can come. In a meal with your friends. and In a meal, God can do something. We can spiritualize this, and I think we should spiritualize it, but there's something real practical. There's something really real about this. You know, that's, and that's why there's all this eating going on with Jesus. Their eyes were open and they knew him. They knew him. They knew him in a meal. They knew him in a meal. And it says he vanished. Just vanished right then. He was gone. He disappeared on them. And then I love this next verse. And they said, didn't our, didn't our hearts uh, burn within us as he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Isn't that what we want? Don't we want that experience? It's, there's this burning that happens with us. God's going to burn burning people, and you're going to feel it, and it's wonderful. It's the most beautiful feeling when you feel this burning in you because he's talking to you. You're not hearing religious garbage. You're not hearing the thoughts of man. You're hearing his thoughts. That's what we got to go for. That's what we got to seek out. So he revealed himself at a supper table. It's powerful. He revealed himself in a meal. There was another time, where, right a few verses down the road from this in Luke 24 is is he met with his other disciples, his, quote, apostles, the most serious ones, and they were struggling with it. And he said, hey, you know, they were thinking he was a ghost, okay? And they were scared of ghosts like we are, right? We ain't one of you messing with no ghost. <laughs> and he said, well, hand me a piece of fish. I'm going to show you something. They hand him a piece of fish, and he ate it. Isn't that funny that he used food to, to show them that he was not, that he was a resurrected human being, he wasn't just some ghost figment thing. He was a resurrected human being. That's what he was trying to say. I'm still a human being. I haven't given up this. And when you get to heaven, you're going to see that I'm a man just like you're a man or a woman. I'm that. I'm God, but I'm that too. I'll ne- he's never given it up. And that's an important revelation. It really is. Yes, I, yes and amen. You know, and then I'll just tell you this last one and then I'll get to the what I wanted to really say to you is in John 21. Remember John 21? This is the last chapter. And Jesus, his disciple, you know, Peter, like, we're going fishing because, you know, this thing with Jesus didn't work out, you know, even though they've seen him already, but still didn't work out. And Because it means when he said, I'm going fishing, it literally means I'm going back to fishing as a way of life. Okay, that's what John uh, Peter was saying. I'm going back to fishing as a way of life versus being this person who's going to be representing Jesus. In other words, I'm done with that because it didn't work out. So I'm going to go back and do what I can do, and I'm a daggone good fisherman. I know how to fish. Anybody want to go with me? Yeah, we're going. So a few more. You know, we put Peter down for stuff. A bunch of them like, yeah, Peter's going, I'm going. So they're out there, and of course, you know the story. They fished all night. You know, caught nothing. That's when they fished back in those days. That's a lot of fun fishing at night, by the way. If you've never done it, it's real fun. So they fished all night, and then Jesus is on the seashore the next morning. You know, little children, have you caught anything? No, we haven't. They didn't know it was Jesus. Throw your net on the other side. Oh, heck, who's this guy? What does he think he's doing? Let's just throw it over there so he'll leave us alone. And, of course, they caught so much fish, the boat was sinking. And John said to Peter, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And Peter probably remembered that moment back at the first time they about sunk their boats when he got his calling from the Lord. 
because that was what happened. And he jumped into the and swam up, gets there. Jesus says, bring some of that fish. I already got some cooking over here. We'll have some breakfast. Isn't that cool? And that's when he began to talk to them and restore Peter and give Peter his commission for life. See, it's just beautiful what the Bible tells us. And see, we miss stuff like this. That's, that's what I felt talking to that farmer that day. I thought it was a whole part of God I've missed. And it took a farmer to tell me, you're missing something, Byron. He didn't say that. That's what the Holy Spirit was saying on his words when we were just talking about the whole thing about just planting and farming and, and what it takes to feed people. You know, and what farmers go through to make life happen for human beings. You know, and what it takes for cooks and servers and people who process food. All of that's all so important to God. It's all part of God's plan for humanity. And in all that, God wants us to find Him. In all of that, just like Jesus wanted people to find Him in this welcoming, this, this welcoming atmosphere, this befriending atmosphere. And food is the way, the tool that He uses. Amen? That's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, so this happened to me several years ago. Um, I had a point to this, okay? I had an encounter with the Lord at the supper table. Okay, and this is with the encounter. We had a, a grandbaby, our first grandbaby. It was Emma Lou. And she, that was about, you know, I don't know, how old is Emma Lou? She's 12, so this had been 11 years ago. And... So we were, you know, when your first grandbaby, you might not know this, but your first grandbaby is like everything. You know, they get all the attention, you know, because all of a sudden they're this special person and your other kids have beat you to death, your regular kids. They beat you to death. You're so, you're so done with it. And now you're getting this redemption. It's like God is paying you back for all the sorrow of raising your children by letting you have these sweet little babies. It's like I ever tell everybody, it's just shocking to me the first time I ever laid eyes on Emma how much I loved her. I would have died for her at that moment. If, if, I, if, if God would come, one of you is dying, it's me. Because I love her, and I'll do anything for her. That's how I felt towards her, and I was shocked. Oh, why do I feel that way? It was God. Any love like that comes from God. That's for parental love, grandparents. It all comes from Him because He's love. And so we had her over at our house one night, you know, babysitting for her. And we had her in the high chair. She was like, you know, little toddler little girl, um, and so we were preparing, Becky was preparing the meal, and Becky was, you know, it's time to bring the food to the table, okay, I'm just setting you up just so you can sit there at that table with me, I can remember walking to the refrigerator and getting a glass of water, and getting Becky, that's what I do, I get the water, <laughs> they don't want me cooking much bringing the water to the table. When I got to the refrigerator, though, it's like I felt God come down on me. You know, I, I was in the normal everyday life stuff. Then all of a sudden, God comes down on me. I could feel it's like it's a warmth come on me. And I knew it was the Lord. I knew he was there. So it was like this holy moment. And so I was just like, oh, this is so sweet. This is so beautiful. I wasn't saying nothing. I was just enjoying the moment because I thought it was just a moment. But I went back to the table and sat down, and it was like I was uh, enlightened. Okay, that's the way it felt. it felt. All of a sudden, I was energized, and I was sensing what God was doing at that moment at the supper table. And I began to look at Emma, and I began to watch what she, watch her actions. It's almost like I got inside of her, 
her mind and could feel what she was feeling and think what she was thinking. And this is what I felt. I felt security. I felt a sense of belonging. I felt love. I felt, I'm going to eat. Because I belong here. And everything that's here is mine. And at that moment, I knew that's what the Lord was saying. And he said to me this, everybody has a place at my table. Everybody. Everybody. And that's the first time in my life. Well, I'd already had this revelation of the Father, but I think that was my beginning of the revelation of being a son. And knowing the Father as a son. And knowing that because he was my Father, I had access to what he has. Are y'all following this? It was a very, very powerful, I mean, as simple as that was, as simple, it sounds silly, like kind of dumb saying it, but it was so powerful for me. It was, it was one of those spiritual markers in my life. And that's one of the things that I believe when Jesus came to this earth, that's what he was trying to get people to see, that you have a place at his table. And what he has is yours. And nobody can take your place. It's yours. Nobody can take it. It's, it's your spot. It's your place. It's got your name on it. You don't have to fight for that name. You don't have to manipulate for that place. It's yours. All you got to do is go sit there. You don't have to do anything to get that place. You see, that's, if you can really get that in your heart, it'll move a lot of that fear out of your life. It'll move some things out of your life where you know you can go sit down because he has decided this is for you. You, you won't think you've got to have a certain kind of worship to experience God or a certain kind of preaching or a certain kind of religion. All that becomes religion. All that becomes dead. All that stuff dies. You know that? All of it dies. All of it goes down. It's beautiful in the moment. Okay? But if that's the thing you're depending on get you to God and get you engaged and get you in revelation, it's not going to last for you. Trust me. And see, we all need a, a place of belonging. And so that's why Jesus was always going to these people who would receive him. And these people who wanted to hear him. Because he knew they desperately need to be belong. And they were rejected. They were pushed out. And he went to them to help them see, no, you really do belong. You belong. You belong. You belong. It's yours. You have a spot here with me. This is, and that's what he was trying to tell. That's why he told these parables. Okay, in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable is you belong. I'm going to do whatever I can to get you to see that you belong and that this place is your place, that you belong in this family and that Jesus came to demonstrate this kingdom. Let me read this verse to you. Are you all still okay for another minute? Oh, yeah. I'm going to be done here in a minute. Luke 15, I'm just going to jump into the end of what the father did when when he brought the prodigal home. He, the father, you know, he, the, the prodigal son was a daggone disaster area. I mean, if you could just put yourself in that story, he'd been living basically in the pig pen. He'd been living in a barn in a pigsty, wanting to eat what the pigs ate. And then he came home, I mean, pretty, pretty nasty, pretty destitute. And, you know, was saying all this stuff. And, but the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hands and sand on his feet and bring the fatty calf here. And kill it and let us eat and be merry. So 
that's what the father was saying, is this boy belongs in my house. And he gets the best of my house. He's not a, you know, in the old days, if you were barefoot, you were a slave. Slaves didn't wear shoes in the era of Jesus. That's why he said, get sandals on him. He's not a slave. See, somebody, y'all need to get some, somebody in this room needs to put some sandals on this morning. You need to quit being barefoot before the Lord, that you're some kind of slave. Put the best robe on. The best robe is obviously the Father's robe. Put the best robe. Get some good clothes on him. And the ring was like the master card of that day. It was the insignia, the signet ring that they used to purchase. They would go, and there was this wax thing they would punch their finger in. So it was access to the family wealth. And see, it was a, that's what the father was doing. He was bringing this son back into the family and saying to this son, Son, you belong as a son in my house. You're family, son, and you're not a slave. You're fam- in fact, we're going to have a party and eat over this. Is that, is that not cool? Is that, that's, see, that's what Jesus was letting them know when they said, put the two together. This man eats with sinners and tax collectors. And this is what Jesus says, y'all don't know what the Father's like. Y'all don't, have, y'all don't have no idea what God's like. And so let me tell you these stories that you'll get because you understand the culture, you understand these words I'm going to tell you. And when we interject, interject ourselves in that culture, we can see that this was a direct, a direct confrontation with them to show them that God was nothing like what they were saying He was like. This is what He's really like. And it's our job to know that God. To know that God that Jesus came and proclaimed so we can show other people that God and not condemn the world but love the world. Amen to that one. I'll read my favorite thing. i got two more verses I'm going to give you real quick. This is the George MacDonald quote. For y'all who don't know about George, he was from the 1800s. But this is a beautiful, and this is when I got this quote, was when the Lord did all that that night at supper table. This is and has been the Father's work from the beginning. From the beginning. To bring us into the home of His heart. This is our destiny. This is our destiny. You know what? When he says from the beginning, if you go read the first five verses of Ephesians 1, it was before man was ever created. That's the beginning he's talking about. From the very foundations of the world, God was saying, I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have a table. They're going to sit at that table with me. Before man fell, I'm going to have a table. Man fell, I'm going to have a table. That didn't stop him. He knew it was going to happen. I've already made, I'm already made room for that. I've already made a way. I'm going, to have a, I'm going to have a family. That's the Lord's desire. He wants a family. He wants me and you. And he, wants, he has a family table he wants to set us down at. And for us to sit there at that table and commune with him and fellowship with him and talk to him and talk about our lives and talk, listen to each other talk like you do at the evening meal lots of times with the family. Okay. Is everybody good? All right, now I'm going to read this one. This is important because this is kind of more of the practical side. Acts 2, 42 through 43. And they continued what? This is talking about the early church. Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. People who don't do that are not doing good because this is what they... And listen, this in the breaking of bread. In the breaking of bread. This is part... And in prayers... This was part of what the early church did. This was the background. 
This, when we read about the early church, we always think about the miracles. And I think we should. We should always think about that. But we should think in the background, day in and day out, people were praying. People were fellowshipping with each other. People were sharing meals with each other. That's what they were doing. That's how life was lived. They were, they were receiving revelation from the apostolic people who were preaching to them. That's what they did. That's what the church did. And guess what happened? Next verse. Then... This is talking about the good kind of fear, the fear of God. Then the fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. You see this? You see out of the background, a prayer, fellowship, having meals together. God started doing stuff. God started working. See, a lot of times I feel like what we want, we want this dog a show. You know, we want a show. But God wants a life. God wants a family. And God will give the show. God will show off and do what He does. But all He's asking for us day in and day out is, just be a family with me. Just be a family. Eat together. Fellowship together. Talk to each other. And, let, and, and out of that, I can do some things. Out of that, the heart of the Father can arise. And the power of God can arise. Because this is what the early church did. So I think... You know, there's, there's healing in all this. I think there's power in all this. It may just be simple in our minds, oh, that's just natural. No, there's power in that. God can release power through that. He did it in the New Testament. That's why it's all over. You know, when I, after, after talking to that farmer that day, all of a sudden, everything I was reading in the New Testament, I was seeing food and meals everywhere. It's like, wow, I didn't know this was here. I didn't know God was so big into food and eating. He's an eating rascal. No wonder we like to eat so much. Anyways, the other thing, though, I think is really important for us about food. I just want to mention this. It's practical. Galatians 2.10, this is Paul. After he went to Jerusalem and, you know, he, you know Paul was this guy doing all this stuff. And he had to go to Jerusalem where all the, the main guys were. Because at that time, the main move of God was in Jerusalem. Well, it was starting to shift. Okay? It was starting to shift. The move of God was not going to stay in one place. It's going to shift. Wherever the move of God is, bank on it. It's not going to stay there. It's going to move away from there. It did in the New Testament. It shifted from there to Antioch. Okay, Antioch became the central place. That's where Paul was at. And start reading, the, start reading Acts. About Acts 10, all of a sudden you see a shift away from Peter and all those guys over to Paul and Antioch and all these guys. And then later it shifted over to, to Ephesus, if you study church history. I mean, there's this move of God. doesn't mean God left that other place and it was desolate. No, but it, God, the fresh thing, the new thing, he moved into other places. I think we're starting to see that now. I think we're seeing a shift in the, in the realm of the Spirit of where God has moved powerfully. still moving. I'm not suggesting He's not moving, but I'm just saying there's a shift happening. And we're going to see other things, other places that we've never even known about and heard about and people that God is going to shift on to. And hopefully it'll just be just regular old unknown people because I think that's the mind of the Lord ultimately. But anyways, I said all that to say this. And it, this is what... Uh, Paul was telling the Galatians about the, the, 
you know, Peter and all of them. He says, they desired only that we should remember the poor. The very thing which I also was eager to do. That's, you know, what they were saying to Paul. Look, Paul, we, go after it, man. But just remember, do this one thing is remember the poor. And when you think about the poor people, you think of, the first thing you think about is the shame that they carry on them about food. There's a shame associated with food because food was connected with the fall, by the way. If you really want to go back and study food, go back to the garden. Right? Have you ever thought about that? One of the first things that God did after he created everybody, like, hey, look at all these trees. You can, you can create meals from all these trees. Every one of them, except don't create that one because that will kill you. And then what did they do? They created the meal from that one food that kills and and so we can see how food kills people now. Millions of people worldwide have this, you know, kind of food addictions or, I mean, all these food things, right? Um, I'm probably going to probably should be, you know, careful here. But, you know, food was part of the creation and food was part of the fall. Okay? And how we use food. And how we abuse food is based on our relationship with the Lord. It really is. And so one of the ways that food's abused today is people use food, nations use food as a weapon to to control the people. I was in Cuba and there was fields of food rotting, fruits and different kinds of fish rotting. It was government owned. And the people would spend all day literally trying to gather up enough just to eat one meal. And while food was rotten out there, and they knew better to go out there in those fields, they would have died. So you can see how this thing can get really off. Are y'all following this? And so remembering the poor is making sure that somehow we can help feed the poor, but do it in a way that restores their dignity. And not, and not makes them, you know, takes their dignity away from them. Because I think a lot of times that happens with people. Their dignity is robbed. We rob them of dignity trying to help them because we don't, we're not wise. And we need a revelation from the Lord about how to, how to give food to people who don't have food. And just give them that basic thing in life that they desperately need. And I just believe that's something the Lord really is going to do with the body of Christ is uh, to feed people and in, in, in feeding them. Do what Jesus did. Make them, make them your friend and, and welcome them and, and reveal something greater to them. I just believe all that's really the truth. And So, amen. All right. Sure, yeah, come on. So one time I was with uh, His Heart Missions in Salta, Argentina. I don't know if you want to come out and uh, do this, Luis, or just do it from in there. But I was in Salta, Argentina, and uh, I was at this little outdoor cafe, and um, whenever you would, people would leave their tables, this group of kids would run up and grab whatever was left on the table or grab whatever drink or whatever piece of food. And they were so poor and they were so dirty that their, their hands were literally black. And um, there was this one family that came and, so, uh, and was grabbing the, the stuff and so I grabbed a waiter, and I can't speak Spanish, and so I, with hand motions and the best I could do, I said, you know, seat them, I'll pay for their food. And he goes, pizza? And I said, uh, no espanol. And he goes, pizza? 
And, I, and, I, and we just went back and forth and back and forth. And then finally, one of the guys from His Heart Missions came. His name was Coco. And I said, Coco, what is he saying? And he goes, he wants to know if you want to feed him pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, these kids that minutes ago were begging for food and were running up and grabbing stuff off a table to eat, the waiter came and he sat them all around the table. I think there were three or four kids and a mom. And when that mom was sitting at the table with her kids, they transformed. And she made all the kids sit up straight in their chair. And when he came out with the pitcher of orange juice, they always give you orange juice first, and he started to pour the orange juice in their glass, immediately they grabbed for it and she stopped them. And she made them sit and wait until he was done pouring orange juice for everyone. And when he left, then she gave them permission to come or to go ahead and drink the juice. And then they came and they served them food and those people were sitting there dignified, respectable. Seconds ago, they were slaves. They were beggars. And because of being given something to change how they saw themselves, the Lord just did something in their life. And, and I just have to believe that one day I'll see that family in heaven. And one day I'll know the true story of all that happened. Because it was totally a God thing, not a me thing. And, and there's such truth. You know, I was thinking too with all that Byron said about, you know, the fall food, right, or creation food and the fall food, but take my body and eat, take my blood and drink, redemption, the food. And what happened when it was flipped? What happened when God came and met Abraham? What's the first thing Abraham did? Go kill the fatted calf, get the goat milk. I'm going to be unkosher and feed God meat and dairy at the same time. And, right, and he feeds God a meal. Mm. So let's, let's stand. Lord Jesus, it's no secret I love food. And I believe you love us loving food. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made it taste so good. Otherwise, it'd be like gasoline in a car. We just needed to, to keep alive. But, but you made it tasty. You made it taste good. You, you invented blending different foods to create different tastes. And then you threw in spices and herbs and all those other things, Lord, because you take pleasure, I believe, in us taking pleasure in the food that you created. But, Lord, there's a, a purpose. I think today, Byron, just revealed a, a greater purpose than just nourishment and just gasoline in our tanks, but as a way to show your love. And, Father, I thank you for that banqueting table. I, I want to tell you, I'm going to Israel next week. I'm going to a land that 4,000 years ago, God called out Abraham, said, I'm bringing you to a place you know not of, and this will be your land forever. And then he made a covenant with those people that if they would obey his laws and serve him and no other gods, it would be theirs forever. And guess what they did almost right away? They broke the covenant, and they were taken off to Syria. And then they broke the covenant, and they were taken off to Babylon. And then they broke the covenant, and they were finally scattered to the four corners of the earth. And not even in that land he promised them. But guess where I'm going this week? I'm going back to that very piece of real estate, that very geographical location. And guess who's going to be there? Those very people that he made a covenant with that broke it over and over and over. But guess what? God doesn't break covenants. So it doesn't matter how many times we mess up, that banqueting table is still there. That invite is still yes and amen. And we're going to sit at that table. And, and in the spiritual realm, we are already sitting at that table. Amen. So I want to ask the ministry team to come up. 
And I just really feel like if, if in your head you hear this stuff, but in your heart you can't receive this stuff, come up and ask the ministry team to pray for you. There's a blockage from head to heart. I think the, uh, uh, the Helsers call it the 18-inch journey from head to heart. Ask God to, to, to dissolve that blockage so that you can truly not just hear it and want to believe it, but believe it and really receive it. You are, you are who the banqueting table was made for. You, individually. Amen. And if you don't need prayer, thanks for coming, and you may be released.